Hello, my name is Christopher Domitio. This is A Very Good Novel, Coronavirus, by me, and this is Chapter 11, called The Power of Human Contortion. Uh, if you'd like to hear the previous 10 chapters in the prologue, you can find them at averygoodnovel.com or at vagabond.com right there on the front page. I'm writing this live, so I haven't finished it yet, uh, but it's getting close, and this is Chapter 11. The first months of the pandemic were a surreal journey for everyone who survived them. By May, there were over three million cases in the world, and nearly a quarter million people of those who had caught it were dead. The entire world went on lockdown, except for Sweden, where people responsibly did what they needed to do, despite the lack of a big brother issuing orders and telling them what to do. Schools were closed, billions of jobs were lost, martial law was enacted in many countries, and not surprisingly, those countries that were heading towards totalitarianism accelerated their fascist march. There were many tragic and beautiful moments. An Italian city on lockdown coming together and singing from the windows. Healthcare workers without adequate protective gear flying to distant regions to risk their lives saving strangers. And the U.S. Navy captain of an aircraft carrier who sacrificed his career so that his men wouldn't be abandoned as the virus ravaged them in the confined quarters of the ship. There was the public tragedy of the dying and dead, especially in places like the Lombardy region of Italy and New York City, where mass graves were dug in parks and loved ones' corpses were stored in refrigerator trucks when graveyards, crematoriums, and morgues exceeded their capacity. There was also the semi-private tragedy as students were suddenly denied classrooms and parents were laid off, furloughed, and just let go. And there was the private tragedy as families decided which pills to pay pay or not pay, who would venture out to buy food, and in many cases, who would eat and who would go hungry. In places like India and the Philippines, a lockdown order essentially meant a starvation order. In the United States, people complained far louder and for less reason, generally. The U.S. and Australia had food and supply shortages in the early days. Things like protective masks, hand sanitizer, and toilet paper flew off shelves and were hoarded by the scared and the greedy. Profiteers marked prices up as high as they could and sold their goods to Amazon, eBay, and Facebook, or on Amazon, eBay, and Facebook. As the dying continued and grew in scope, governments made a show of cracking down, but really only cracking down the initially needed to be done was amongst the most desperate, those who needed food or medicine. Trump had initially called for the American virus to be a genocidal killer, but heroes in the lab, just a few of those many who silently resisted his evil and perhaps saved us all, engineered the virus to affect only those who had reached adulthood. The American virus was designed to spare children, despite Trump's wishes. The Russian virus also functioned that way, not by design, but because it was built to attack the obese and infirm, which generally meant that it bypassed children. Gaia's coronavirus infected all who came into contact with it, but the mortality rate was low because a healthy immune system generally survived the harsh viral attacks. Months into the pandemic, some of the benefits became clear. People noticed deer and foxes walking through their neighborhoods. Polluted air cleaned up in cities where commuters usually drove gas-guzzling cars to stressed-out workplaces, and oceans and lakes turned clear. Wildlife was thriving. Bees, which had been on the verge of extinction, reproduced in fantastic numbers. Manatees, dolphins, and whales again felt free to explore areas that had been death traps before. A couple months of reduced human excess was all that it took for the planet to begin recovery. The humans, too, felt something shift. Parents who had only seen their children between work and school suddenly were faced with the people who they were responsible for. Parents had had to become teachers. People had to stay home. They had to look out for themselves and each other. Sociologists said that a record number of divorces, domestic abuse, and other family atrocities would result from everyone being on lockdown. And to some extent, those predictions proved true, but not to the levels that scientists had expected. In fact, most relationships improved. A big part of this was because capitalism itself had been shut down. Humans 
who are, after all, just brilliant apes, had months to rediscover that. And just as the dolphins were rediscovering inlets, bays, rivers, and coves, the humans were rediscovering their own nature, which had been twisted and bent into a perverse eat-work-sleep-die form. Mothers and fathers rediscovered their children. Children discovered their parents, often for the first time, as they embraced art, music, creativity, and finding ways to enjoy their time together instead of simply marking calendars and looking at clocks. There was astounding unemployment. Trump, of course, used the pandemic as an opportunity to promote himself. He made sure that his name was on the relief check sent out to people, while also making sure that the checks were the minimum amount possible. The big bucks went to bailing out his companies and the companies of his donors and supporters. Not content to have his name only on the checks, he also had the Treasury modify form letters that made it appear as if he had personally sent the money to taxpayers. That was how he felt about it, so he might as well make it reality. The letter was a formality that had to be sent in order to detail the payments and where they came from. Trump saw an opportunity to ingratiate himself to the voters, and over the objections of his lawyers, inserted several phrases containing the word I, which very much made it seem as if he were sending money from his own accounts. Something, by the way, which he would never do. He would rather watch people die. Those stimulus checks were a lifeline for many families. Rent still had to be paid, groceries still had to be bought, and it wasn't enough for more than a month or two at most, though. State unemployment systems floundered and failed, and many of them were still running software from the 1980s, and the influx of millions of claims were impossible to process. Financial concerns were undermining the joy of being human that many people were rediscovering, or, as was often the case, discovering for the first time. Capitalism had always been a tricky master. On the one hand, it raised the standard of living for broad swaths of the population, but on the other hand, it took away broader liberties and freedoms. Have a car, the banker said. Enjoy. We'll help you finance it. And with a single step, the worker was locked into the system. The capitalization of medicine raised a similar trap. Have a baby, the doctors would say. Buy a house, said the realtor. Family, home, and career all had become ways to keep workers in the system, too busy to complain, too sedated with gadgets and stress to mount a viable resistance. Apes weren't made to operate on a system of nonstop productivity. During those first three months of the pandemic, people learned that without overtly knowing what they were learning, they found the time to play, learn, sit, contemplate, exercise without the frenetic anxiety of a gym, and to love one another. It was a horrible time, but for many, it was the best of times. There was an internal confliction, which they couldn't understand. They were happy at a time when they shouldn't have been, and they couldn't admit it. And of course, it couldn't continue. Capitalism thrives on busyness, and business requires devotion and attention. The economy had to move back into action, or it might never recover. Everyone knew that, and everyone said it, but no one thought to ask, why should it? What happens if it doesn't? That was unthinkable in a society built on greed and profit. Behind-the-scenes forces went into play, not just to restart the economy, but also to restart the Russian virus. Putin hadn't expected his country to be hit by a coronavirus, and when it did, his first reaction was panic. Gradually, as the Gaia virus spread, he realized that it wasn't going to be another Russia or New York situation in Moscow or St. Petersburg. Looking at the situation in the USA, his scientists explained that the lockdown procedures were working. Americans were flattening the curve by staying home, limiting exposure, and taking precautionary measures. It had to stop. What can we do, he asked the head of his intelligence. Let's use the Trump voters, said the, was the unanimous suggestion. If Donald Trump had still been his puppet, Putin wouldn't have, would have objected. Using Trump voters was a dangerous tactic that would almost certainly result in Trump losing the popular vote again when the elections of 2020 happen. However, since Trump had gone rogue, was no longer in control of the Kremlin, in the control of the Kremlin, and his election wouldn't necessarily benefit Putin or his oligarchs any further, it seemed like an easy fix. At heart, Putin was a communist, though one corrupted by power and wealth, so the idea of killing a huge number of pro-capitalist buffoons was appealing on more than one level. 
They dubbed it Operatia Amerikanskia Svoboda, or in English, Operation American Freedom. It was exceedingly easy to put into place. Using Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Russian cyber trolls created and promoted conspiracy theories about how the lockdowns in American cities were violations of constitutional rights and contributing to the erosion of American freedoms. They created fake movements and protests where people demanded the right to return to work, the right to return to how the world had been. It was MAGA all over again, sometimes using the same slogans and operatives. They promoted racism against Asians, Latinos, and blacks by spreading stories about how the Chinese had started the virus, illegal immigrants were bringing the virus across borders, and African Americans were more likely to spread the virus. They handed off protests to actual local organizers who were more than eager to call the lockdowns a conspiracy. They called it Q, 5G, and Article 21, among other things. Since the campaign was rushed, they utilized old, tired slogans, in some cases recycling leftist slogans into right-wing slogans such as My Body, My Choice, which had been a left-wing feminist rally cry and now is co-opted into a right-wing rally cry. The Russian campaign exceeded expectations, with tens of thousands of lockdown protesters crowding into spaces without social distancing. While they didn't have enough active agents to introduce the Russian virus into every crowd, they were able to get it into many. Fat American and MAGA patriots crowded around state capitals all over the country while Putin and his advisors laughed and ate candy corn because Russians love candy corn. And that's a fact that no one can explain. The best part was that Trump and Republican lawmakers, always ready to pander to their base, picked up the rally cries and amplified them. As a final insult that almost caused him to choke on his candy corn, Putin suggested that they set the largest rallies for May 1st. May 1st, commonly called May Day around the world, is International Workers' Day, the most important holiday in communism and socialism. The United States had banned the holiday and created a watered-down Labor Day in September because of riots and deaths associated with it during the early 1900s, Putin was bringing it back with a little help from social media and a bunch of stupid, fat, capitalist dogs.